0: By the devil's wives Still the church marches on We have been redeemed from Adam's race Sealed and purchased by his grace Heading to a better place Surrounded by an angel band We gotta keep marching on in Jesus' name Marching on as love proclaims Marching on, on till, till the battle, battle is over With the bloodstained banner raised ooh, 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 Gotta keep marching on to victory Marching on to home we see Till we hear the mighty trumpet sounding We gotta keep marching on Marching on in Jesus' name Marching on in His love Let's sing.
1: We've got to keep marching on. We are called by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called us to stand by faith. Today I'd like to share with you the meaning of the menorah. It's important that we understand this. It has a vital role in our lives today in Jesus. The first time we hear about the menorah is when in Exodus, the 25th chapter, God begins to describe for Moses how to shape and create the menorah. You remember, Moses went up on the mountain, and there on the mountain, God showed him the pattern of the heavenly sanctuary. Now, the heavenly sanctuary on the earth was not a physical building. It was a tent of meeting. It was made of fabric and animal skin. It was divided into two parts, Parts. The first called the holy, the second, the most holy. The furniture in the holy compartment was as you walk into the holy compartment. On the right hand side is the table of showbread, symbolizing the children of Israel laid out as fresh bread for the food of God. Total giving of oneself over to the mighty God of heaven. Then straight ahead was the altar of incense, where the prayers of God's people ascended to the throne room. On the left-hand side is the lampstand of pure gold. Lampstand in the Hebrew is menorah. Let me share with you, from the 25th chapter of Exodus, God's description of this menorah. You shall also make a lampstand, verse 31, of pure gold, or you shall make a menorah of pure gold. The lampstand shall be hammered out of one piece, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall all be of one piece. So this is a large piece. It's taller than a man's head. It's a stunningly beautiful piece. It is pure gold hammered out by a skilled artisan out of one piece of gold. And six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand on one side, and three branches on the lampstand on the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, on the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, and with each ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same. So he's describing here in detail what the menorah is to look like and its exquisite beauty. But why an almond blossom? Well, The almond tree was the first tree to blossom in the spring. The almond blossom was a beautiful, large, white blossom. It would blossom... Normally in February, sometimes in early spring, in late January. The blossom would last for two weeks. It would be a stunning sight of white, shimmering white on the almond trees. This is the first fruit, the almond. Verse 35, And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece, and all of it shall be one hammered piece of gold. You shall make seven lamps for it and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it, and its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all of these utensils, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So this menorah, is to have seven lamps. Three branches on one side, three on the other, like a tree. And at the very top of the trunk, the seventh lamp. Now, these seven lamps were the only source of light that would be in the holy compartment of the tent of meeting, The oil was to be freshened each morning. These lamps were not to go out. They were to burn and provide light constantly. They were of such exquisite beauty because they were hammered out of one piece. They were not in parts and then assembled. They were hammered out of one piece of pure gold. It must have been a stunning sight to see this menorah in all of its glory with the candles lit. One candle a part of the next candle. One lamp a part of the next lamp. This was a piece of complete unity. Now, we come to a passage... In Jeremiah, let me read it for you. Jeremiah, the first chapter. Jeremiah, the first chapter. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or I made you holy. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was not of a family of the prophets. He was specifically chosen by God. And he says back to the Lord, O Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm just a youth, a young person. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build and to plant moreover the word of the Lord came to me saying Jeremiah what do you see and I said I see a branch of an almond tree and the Lord said to me you have seen well for I am ready to perform my word why an almond tree why not a, a fig tree why not a, a grapevine? why an almond tree and in the pounding out of this gold menorah why wasn't it made in the shape of a lamb or why wasn't it made in the shape of a, of a fig tree or a vine why an almond tree well the answer is here in the scripture ah i said i see a branch of an almond tree and the lord said to me you have seen well for i am ready i am watching it's not just ready the translation is from the original hebrew which means i am watching i am carefully watching to perform my word. Well, in the Hebrew, to perform my word is the same identical word as almond tree. So the golden menorah with its almond blossom is saying to us, I am watching carefully to see that my word is carried out. I will accomplish what I have desired to accomplish. Jeremiah sees an almond branch. The Lord is watching. He's carefully watching to make sure his word is carried out. Now you remember the story of of Moses and Aaron and a number of rebellious people are are saying Aaron should not have the priesthood. We should. So Moses collected all of their staffs, including Aaron's, and put them in the tent of meeting. And the next morning, all of the staffs were completely dried and dead except one. And that was Aaron's staff. And the scripture tells us that it had budded, it had produced almond flowers, and it had produced the fruit of the almond. What was the meaning of that? It was that the Lord was going to carry out his desire, that he was being very careful to carry out all that he had planned. Looking forward to Jesus, who would be the first fruits. Jesus was to be the first fruit, the almond. And the almond blossom, as on the golden, the golden menorah, was the Lord God of heaven saying, I am watching carefully. This is not just casualness. This is all planned. Every part has a meaning. And we know now from the new covenant that every part of that Old Testament tabernacle of meeting, tent of meeting, we know that it had some reference to the deep meaning of Jesus coming as the Messiah. So the almond is looking forward literally to the coming of Messiah. Now we find this spoken of again when we come to the book of Revelation. we find in the first chapter, verse 12, John is speaking. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, or the menorah, He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Now, let's be clear. He is the commander of all the forces of heaven. And he has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, symbolizing absolute truth and justice. Now this figure of Jesus has a countenance like the sun shining in all of its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet is dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore so jesus is coming saying look i am the resurrected christ all authority and judgment in heaven and earth has been placed in my hands this is real this is not just symbolism this is this is real this is who jesus is i have the keys of hades and death jesus controls hell Jesus controls death. The devil does not. Now let's be very clear. people have misconstrued. I had a person say to me just this last week, well when jesus when he died on the cross, he went to hell, and he had to fight with the devil there. That's a lie. When Jesus went down into hell or the holding place, it says he preached to those who were held captive, the spirits of those held captive from the antediluvian world. He went down as the victor to proclaim his victory to the spirits held in prison who hoped that he would fail. Jesus holds the keys of Hades and death, not the devil. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Now verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now I want to take you back for just a minute to give context to this, to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, we find in the first chapter... Everything has been poured out for the salvation of the lost. Jesus paid the price. And the hand of God is stretched out to every person, including you. You have the option of choosing Jesus and not going to hell. That's a very serious choice. Now, he raised up Christ, seated him at the right hand of the Father, and now he wants to raise us up and seat us there at the right hand of Jesus. That's Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 6. Now, in the third chapter, Paul writes about the church. Ephesians is the book of the church like the book of Acts is the book of the church. The third chapter of Ephesians begins to reveal the mystery of the gospel of the Gentiles in in the fact that God wanted to make the Gentiles heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 3 verse 6 he writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Dunamis, that's what we get the word dynamite from, the working of his dynamite. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Now verse 10 is where we want to focus. His, that is God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. So we find that he intended through the church to bring about the glorious healing between the Gentiles and the Jews and that in the church, the fullness of God should dwell. And Christ is the head of the church, we're told in Ephesians. So if Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body, Paul talks about we're different parts of the body. One's a foot, one's a hand one's an ear all the parts of the body don't look the same or act the same they have their own function in the body as directed by the holy spirit so we come to revelation and we find the mystery of the seven stars that john saw in vision the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands or the seven golden menorahs are seven stars are the angels of the seven churches the word angel in the greek simply means messengers i suggest to you pastors these are the pastors of the seven churches And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. In other words, the menorah stands for the church. The menorah is a symbol coming out of the Old Testament, out of the tabernacle. The menorah is a symbol today in the new covenant of the church. And we now find that the Lord is going to speak about seven churches. These seven churches, some say represent seven time periods. I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But certainly the seven churches, seven representing completeness, these seven churches represent the churches of the ages. They are... The menorah. Your church was intended by Jesus to be a part of the menorah, to shed light for the lost and the dying. Now let me read for you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is the second chapter, verse 7. So he's saying these churches, these seven churches, represented by the menorah, these seven churches are going to have to overcome Now, the word overcome, instantly, you know, means conflict. There is opposition, and that opposition must be put aside. It must be overcome. It is not easy. So anyone who chooses to be a part of the menorah, the church, is going to have to fight for their place, in that menorah. They are going to have to submit to the school of the Holy Spirit and be brought up into the fullness of Jesus Christ. And for that to happen, you are going to have to be crucified with Christ. You're going to have to lay aside your earthly life. And your entire focus is now going to be on the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that you can shed abroad the light from the lampstand. Now I want to look with you at the church of Ephesus. The lampstand of the church of Ephesus. It is the first of the churches spoken of. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand so the pastors who are righteous before God called by the Spirit who walk in holiness before the Almighty I should turn quickly and just read for you a passage if I can find it quickly this is a new Bible that I'm I'm reading from so it, it's not easy to get to the right place. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Now, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. For if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. From your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So it's very clear where to be holy. Now these pastors cannot participate in the wickedness of the world. They are called out from the world to proclaim a straight message of the Almighty King of kings and Lord of lords the Lord himself holds the pastor in his hand now watch nevertheless this is chapter 2 of Revelation verse 4 I have this against you that you have left your first love you have left your first love He says, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience. In other words, he's saying, I know how much time you spent on that building committee. I know how much time you went out spreading tracts and talking to people about the gospel. I know how much time you spent building the house of the Lord. I know how much time you spent on that vestry or that board planning for my people. I know all of your hard work. I know your labor. I know the patience that you have shown. I know you cannot bear evil people. You want a righteous church. He says, You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, but have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Now, this is a a most serious charge because what happened in the church in the first 300 years of the Christian faith is that the church was not an institution. It was not open for everyone to come into the church. In fact, history tells us that they would have someone standing at the door and asking each person as they came in, have you sinned against the Lord or are you clean? The church was for the clean, for those who were committed to Jesus. It was not a social gathering place. It was a holy place with holy people. Some people want to say, the church is a hospital for sinners. No, the church is not a hospital for sinners. It's a place of resurrection for the dead. The church is a holy people called together in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a place for those who have made the commitment and laid their life down to follow after Jesus. Today we have an institutional church. We have all of the rituals, the holidays, the special days. We have the pastor and the priest as the eminent one of the congregation, not because they preach holiness, but because they control the political powers of the church. Today we in the church believe in the mystery, the magic, the mystical, the bread turning into real flesh, the blood, the grape juice becoming real blood. This is all foolishness that came in after A.D. 300. This was not the New Testament church. This is not what they believed. In the New Testament church, they accomplished more in 300 years than we've even thought of accomplishing with all of our technology. They spread the gospel to the then known world. They established a church in every city, a godly church, a righteous people, a holy people, set apart from the world. So he comes and he says to them, I have this against you. You have left your first agape. You've left, left your first love of sacrifice for me. Oh, you're into the church. You're into the fellowship. You're into caring for the poor. But you've lost your love for me. Now, please, the church is about Jesus. It's not about an institution. It's not about a church building. For many years, the church had no building. They met in public places. The first churches met in the tabernacle, the temple in Jerusalem. Then they began to move out into homes, public venues, some of the earliest church facilities that we find are buildings much like our townhomes today, except they knocked the walls out between two of three of the units and made room for people to sit to be taught the gospel. He's saying, "You've lost your love for me. It's become cold, formal." They were on their way to becoming institutional with the robes and the mysticism, with the entertainment. He says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Repent means a 180 degree turn. It means turning away from that thing which draws my love and my attention away from Jesus. Anything that draws your love and your attention from Jesus is sin before him. He wants to be first in your heart. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. What is the lampstand? It says the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. When the Lord comes and removes the lampstand, the church no longer exists. Oh, you can continue to meet in your building you can bring in the concerts you can bring in all the wonderful speakers you can have a flesh place going and it will be very successful and people will love it and they'll talk about what a fabulous church this is but the spirit of God is gone I want to speak specifically the lamp stand has a golden bowl made to look like an almond flower. The symbolism we find from Jeremiah, the first chapter, is that that symbolizes the Lord is watching to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So the Lord is watching your church, carefully watching your church, to determine whether or not he will be allowed to accomplish what he desires in that place. And if he cannot, if you have lost your first love, and each of the other seven churches, the other six churches are going to address different issues that are causing the Lord heartburn, causing him to turn aside and remove the lampstand from among them or threaten to, if that's what he must do, this church of Ephesus, it's going to have its lampstand removed because they've lost their first love and they're not repenting. We know from history, the church at Ephesus died. Now we can maintain the church in the flesh. I'm not interested in a flesh church. And I have walked through a church losing its lampstand and there is nothing more heartbreaking. There's nothing sadder. There is no rebuke greater that God can give to any church or any pastor than to remove the lampstand. Sunday at the National Prayer Chapel we spoke a great deal about this. We cried out to God over it. We prayed over it. And we said, Lord, in this little remnant of people, would you bring your lampstand? Would you bring your lampstand with that almond blossom that you're watching carefully to carry out what you desire? I've been asking the Lord now for some time. Lord, would you bring revival? would you send your Holy Spirit according to Luke, the 11th chapter? If we ask, you'll, you'll send the Holy Spirit. Would you send your fire? Now, I don't have time to go into it today, but we're going to go further this week with this topic. But the tragedy of the modern church is that it has adopted the business model of the heathen, of the pagans. And many churches today are just run like businesses. The CEO is the pastor. They have large salaries. They're well cared for. They're well educated. They're very sophisticated. But the Holy Spirit has departed. Their lampstand was removed and they don't even know it. I call them Broadway churches. It's a crushing thing to lose the lampstand. It's the most humbling thing that's ever happened in my life, to see God remove a lampstand. With the almond blossom, meaning God is no longer watching this church to determine whether or not he can accomplish what he desires in this body. We're going to talk this week about what are the signs that your church has lost its lampstand. What is the sign in your life that you have lost, that you're no longer a part of the church? Oh, you may be a member of a church. That doesn't mean you're a part of Jesus' church. I want to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The desire of my heart is to be holy before him, to be utterly given over to him, to be possessed by the spirit of the living God. He says, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That means there has to be a very concrete change of action. There has to be a, a renovation, a metamorphosis of our hearts. To be honest with you, I've never been in a real church that had the presence of the Holy Spirit in all of his power the power of Pentecost I've read of those I've read of them in Argentina other parts of the world there's a deep work of repentance that I'm having to walk through led by the Holy Spirit disciplined by the Holy Spirit in the school of the Holy Spirit. We need to not be so ashamed of our spiritual condition that we will not admit it before God and before the Holy Spirit and before one another. And admit to the bitterness and the anger and the pain of our hearts. And then to Change our behavior. Quickly change the set of your sail. Get to safety. Nothing can be more important for you or for me than to be a part of the church. The church is the apple of God's eye. Everything for Jesus was about the church. I don't want a shadow of the church. I don't want an institutional place called church. Church means, in the in the Greek, ekklesia. It means the called out ones. It's not a part of the world. It's not a part of the casual entertainment of the world. It's not a place where you have concerts and sell tickets. I'm astonished that... Churches today would sell tickets for a sacred concert. I can't think of anything much uglier in the church than to merchandise the body of Christ, to steal from the body of Christ. It's not enough to receive tithes and offerings. Now we have to merchandise the body of Christ and sell them books and tapes and CDs. What? It's an abomination before God. Well, I have to have a source of income. From your knees, in the presence of Jesus, receive the manna of God. He will move in the hearts of his people to bring food into the storehouse. I come on this broadcast and I... I try not to offend, but to speak very honestly because I don't want to speak out of my flesh. I don't want to speak out of any anger. How can I be angry at God's people? My heart is broken. My heart is filled with compassion for God's people who are wandering like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. We've got to find our way back to sacred places and people called church, ecclesia, the called out ones. Not the ones who live in the world and gather as a social gathering to do good work. We're not NGOs. We lift up the cross of Jesus Christ and we call all men to be crucified with him, to be born from above, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk holy and righteous before God. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The promise he's making the church at Ephesus is that if you will repent and if you will love me, I will bring you into the garden of God. I will bring you now into paradise and I will feed you from the tree of life and you will never die. That's what Jesus said. He who believes in me will never die. He said that to Mary when Lazarus died, to Martha. I hope today's been helpful to you. I hope you hear that Jesus loves you, but that he has a sword in his mouth, and he's cutting out from under us everything that's of the flesh. And he's calling us to walk clean and holy and pure before him as a part of his body. You cannot join sin to the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. You cannot join sin to the body. The body must be holy. And you need to be washed in his blood, purified, it's not self-help, Some of you, you need resurrection. Some of you need healing. I want to pray for you. Oh, Lord, I come today with the almond blossom, knowing that you are watching to carry out your word, which is to build your church. to have a lampstand filled with the flame of God. A lampstand that will shed its light abroad and draw the lost and the dying to come and be a part. Lord, thank you. Would you touch each who's listening today, calling them out of any darkness or foolishness that they may be in, comforting those who are in the church and healing us. Name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray greenley I'd love to hear from you. I walk by faith and believing that God will move in your heart to send the manna. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22191. 22195. I'm sorry. 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. My dear brother and sister, the way is open before us into the Church, the Body of Christ. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I'll talk
0: to you soon.